בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We are uh, back in our uh, Wednesday night uh, שיעור, סתם את הרבי, where uh, after a little bit of דברי תורה, uh, you guys will ask some questions, and בעזרת השם הקדוש ברוך הוא will give us uh, answers, בעזרת uh, השם. So uh, tonight's שיעור will be for uh, a רפואה שלמה for רבנית לבנה בת שרה, רב אפרים בן שולמית, רבנית שרה בת ענת, אבי מורי דוד בן עשריה, דוריס בת ז'ורה, אורית בת אילנה, שרה בת סאוסן, and also uh, for הצלחה רבה for מרשה בת ג'ולי, איילה בת מרשה, סמיאל בן מרשה, ספס בן מרשה, אלכסנדר בן מרשה, לואיס בן מרשה, שאול בן פרזנה, דוד בן עשריה, אושרי בן דוריס, גבי בן דוריס, אלעד בן דוריס, יתרו בן אברהם, אמיר בן שהין, and all of עם ישראל, בעזרת השם, will have a רפואה שלמה, הצלחה רבה, כל מעשי ידיהם, also a very special miracles, בעזרת השם, will happen to the people that need it. I know that Marsha and her family still are in needing of a few more miracles, so please continue to pray for them. If you remember the story that I told you about the wicked father that kidnapped the baby. Uh, we're uh, still fighting this. Uh, the Ayla has not come home yet, uh, although uh, Hashem, the trials are going in the right direction and uh, things are going okay. It's a, uh, still the fact is that the baby is not home for a long time, which uh, I, could, I can't even imagine the pain. Uh, this is worse than any Geinom Shiu that I could ever uh, teach you guys uh, to Geinom on this earth. But Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is... Uh, doing everything that's necessary to uh, uh, to get Ayla back with Hashem and uh, so please uh, continue to uh, to pray uh, anytime a person uh, really looks at uh, the, the the difficulties uh, that uh, other people have the difficulties of Am Yisrael uh, and uh, really uh, looks at them from a, uh, a serious point of view they realize that Quite frankly, uh, your problems are blessings next to some other people's problems. Uh, so uh, please uh, don't forget to pray for other people uh, because the Gemara teaches us that if you uh, pray for others, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will end up answering your prayer first. Uh, but of course, it has to be a genuine prayer and not just because your prayers will be answered first. So with that being said, we... Um, we have a couple of things. We have a lot of material. Uh, not really sure how, which direction HaKadosh Baruch Hu will take us. Uh, but uh, we'll try to cover a lot of different things because right now there's a lot of uh, uh, turmoil in the air uh, with everything that is uh, that's happening out there with, uh, with the missionaries infiltrating into different communities, uh, Jewish communities. Uh, you have, uh, of course, the uh, Rasha Al-Kohen elk that uh, was uh, um, exposed uh, not too long ago uh, surely he's uh, he and his uh, you know followers are looking for more uh, victims to uh, that they could fall under but Baruch Hashem, the uh, Benenu organization uh, did an extraordinary job uh, alongside Rabbi Tobias Singer to expose these people enough that uh, at the very least uh, they, uh, you know, they're not going to have an easy time doing what they did already. Um, and of course, you have the uh, the case 
that was just exposed just in the last couple of days. Some missionary uh, that uh, you know took a Jewish old Jewish woman as prey. You know, stayed at our house for some time, saying that he's Jewish, and ended up uh, changing his name uh, to her name uh, in order to uh, use that to bring his family, uh, which were also idol worshiper missionaries, uh, to Eretz Israel. And uh, Baruch Hashem, uh, they were recently caught and exposed uh, by um, uh, one of the uh, missionary, anti-missionary organizations in Israel, Yad Le'achim. Uh, of course, we have also the uh, the current situation that we've been dealing with, uh, which is the uh, the Dawsons, aka uh, Isaacsons. They call themselves, but in reality, it's one hundred percent Dawson. Nothing to do with Isaac or anything else. These Rashaim uh, are predators that have already preyed on a few communities, but unfortunately, they found themselves a uh, a good partner for crime which is the, uh, the Erev Rav uh, named uh, Michael L. Cohen, uh, Michael uh, Aminov, Michael M. Aminov, uh, might as well be L. Cohen. Anyway, this, uh, this whole situation, you would think that after you expose uh, missionaries in a community, uh, the, the, the people would simply just, you know, run away. Uh, if it was only that simple, if it was only that simple, uh, life would be different. But uh, of course, this uh, Rasha uh, uh, Aminov is not only uh, not kicked out the missionaries, but he's actually upping the ante by, uh, in essence, trying to say that everything he's doing is perfectly kosher, and he's keeping the missionaries, the Christian missionaries, in his keilah. They're still active as rabbis, so-called rabbis, in his, uh, in his synagogue. Uh, and he's trying to get as many people as possible to support him. Baruch Hashem, a few people have realized the uh, despicable nature of this person and have run away, but not enough. Not enough. Uh, what is it about the, uh, the criminals, the spiritual criminals, that uh, entices people to the extent where even after people see that they're criminals, keeps them in? You know, we learned yesterday that the, uh, the snake's tongue is uh, obviously the, a unique tool that the snake has. It's, uh, Chazal compares it uh, to Lashon uh, to, uh, to, to saying things that are inappropriate, uh, to using your mouth in, in, in the wrong way, where you're saying things that you're not allowed to say, but we also learned that to go and uh, expose, speak bad, insult spiritual enemies is a mitzvah, just like eating kosher is a mitzvah, just like keeping Shabbat is a mitzvah, exposing such spiritual enemies of Am Yisrael, idol worshippers, missionaries, heretics, apikolsim, all of the above is a mitzvah from the Torah. Now, what is it that the, these spiritual enemies have that keeps people coming? Because you realize this is a snake, but yet people keep coming back. Now, of course, some people are also criminals, so criminals, you know, want to be surrounded by criminals. But for those people that are not criminals, uh, or at least not, uh, not uh, uh, you know, not people that are sophisticated criminals, they're just, you know, they're criminals simply because of ignorance. What keeps them coming back to the snake? Uh, you have people that know that, uh, you know, these people are bad, but yet they come back. You have people that know that some of the other Rishayim that we've exposed over the years are bad, but people keep coming back. What pe keeps people back, uh, going back? 
It's a very, very strange uh, behavior. Uh, it's, it's technically part of human nature. And uh, really, Be'ezot Hashem, we're going to try to see if we can find somewhere in this parashot uh, a place that can help us. A place that can help us in the Torah to really try to uncover the problem and also talk, tell you about, perhaps, if we have enough time, about another missionary battle that we've been fighting behind the scenes, if we have enough time, Be'ezot Hashem. So we see in last week's parasha, we see already that there is fakers, is not, being a faker is not a new thing. Uh, you, know, is, you know, speaking uh, big words, you know, making, in essence, empty promises is not a new discovery. It's not something of this generation. We meet uh, some clown by the name of Ephron that uh, in front of everybody talks a big game, promises Avraham that he'll, you know, he'll give him you know, for, uh, for free, but then later on asks him for 400 zoos. Uh, a 400 shekel kesef, that's an uh, extraordinary amount of money. Uh, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. So instead of giving him something for free, he ends up selling it to him for above market price. Uh, and for that, he actually gets, uh, the, uh, the Chachamim teach us, we see that his punishment uh, is already shown in the Pasuk, where in, a, in the uh, chapter uh, 23, uh, verse number uh, 16, it says, So it says that the uh, um, Avram heeded Ephron, and Avram weighed out to Ephron the price which he had mentioned in hearing of the children of Het, 400 silver shekel in negotiable currency was given to the Sochel. Sochel means the, the merchant, the businessman. This is a big businessman, this guy. He's like Aminov. He tends to be a rabbi, but he's really a businessman. Charges 15, 20, 50, 100,000 dollars per conversion. It's business. And in essence, what we're looking at is why would a, uh, a, such a person do such a thing? Well, first, at first uh, thing, it's money. Money. Guy wants to make money. He, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's not ashamed of it. He wants to make money. Ephron is, not, uh, is, is looking to make money. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to us, look, the first time it says in this verse the word Ephron, it's spelled Ein Fei. Lesh Vav Nun Sofit. Second time it spells Ephron, it's Ein Fei Resh Nun Sofit, meaning it's missing a letter. It says the same word, but it's spelled differently. It's missing a letter. Showing Ephron, you wanted the money, you, you talk a big game, no problem. You get the money, and therefore that's your reward in this world, because Olam you don't have. You don't have. What about Avraham? Avraham that uh, just gave up 400 shekels, should you, if you're a religious Jew, should you be a sucker every time somebody cheats you, tells you, listen, uh, how much, uh, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Oh, I want you to do X, Y, Z. Okay, it's going to be $10,000. No problem. $10,000 it is, I'll pay you $10,000. The guy is uh, 60, 70% into the job, says, okay, listen, when's the other payment coming? What do you mean the other payment? What are you talking about other payment? You said $10,000. No, I said $10,000, that's just a deposit. It's $20,000. No, 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 no. You said 10,000. Oh, listen, it's 20,000. If you don't want, I'm not going to finish the job. How many of us have experienced these vultures, these vultures, these, these carziot, these, these uh, ticks uh, that call themselves businessmen? Businessmen that tell you one thing and do something else. I have dealt with literally thousands of people throughout my career on Wall Street, as a rabbi, as a human being on earth. 
I do a lot of business. I, I'm, I'm the best customer in the world. I can tell you that. I wish I had customers like myself. If I had a business, I wish I had customers like myself. Why? I don't negotiate. What's your price? Here you go. That's the price. Don't negotiate. Don't ask you to give me a discount. In fact, I don't want a discount. You know what I do want though? I want you to do what you say you're going to do. You say you're going to charge me $1,000, $5,000, $100,000 for XYZ. Do it. That's all I want. That's it. And guess what, Rabotai I have lived a life. I've gone through a lot. I love you, Akadosh Baruch Hu. Thank you very much for everything you give for me. Everything you give me. Thank you. Even the bad, even the good, and everything in between. Thank you. And guess what, Rabotai? I've lived a life and I've dealt with a lot of people. Millions of dollars in transactions. And I have yet to meet a single person that I've done business with that does what they say they're going to do. Lawyers, doctors, merchants of some kind, vendors. Nobody does what they're going to do. Why? There's always a change. There's always like a last-minute fee. A last-minute punch you in the face. A, uh, a uh, small print. I can't do it. Yeah, but I already paid you. Yeah, but I didn't know I couldn't do it. And so on and so forth. All types of businesses. Websites, uh, marketing, uh, whatever you want. Name it, we did it. And again, it's not me alone. I'm sure that you've gone through your own your own difficulties. Why? Because the default in a world without Torah is cheating. In the world today, they call that hustling. Hustling really is means you're a thief, means you're a liar, means you're getting over on people. But today, it's actually an admirable trait. Oh, I'm just, I'm just hustling. Oh, so you're just stealing from people? No, no, I'm not stealing. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get mine. Oh, so you're trying to get yours that's not really yours, it's somebody else's. You're a thief. You're a liar. You think you're Robin Hood, that, uh, that's a good guy, but Robin Hood's a criminal. You're a criminal just like him. No, 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 why are you saying that? Why do you talk like that? I'm not talking like that. I'm just calling things as they are. That's the reality, Rabotai. Most people are criminals. Who is not a criminal? People that have Yirat Shemaim. People that have Yirat Shemaim. People that have Yirat Shemaim, you can deal with them. Unfortunately, not everybody has Yirat Shemaim, and if you only dealt with people that have Yirat Shemaim, most likely, you're not going to be able to do a lot of things that you want to do in life. Why? Because it's hard to find people that have your mind. And it takes time to find people that have your mind. So, the point is that you have here Efron, you have Aminov, you have all types of criminals in the world that do things purely for money. And Akadosh Baruch Hu says, those people don't worry. I think whatever they got, don't worry. That's the reward in this world. Next world, they don't have. What about the victims? What about the victims? The Pasuk says in chapter 24, Avram was old, well in years, and Hashem blessed Avram with everything. Meaning he was filthy rich, had everything you could possibly imagine. He had wife, he had kids, he had money, he had property, he had everything you could possibly imagine. Yeah, but people cheated him. He paid 400 uh, a uh, million dollars for this uh, for this ma'at uh, Didn't he just waste all of his money? No, no, don't worry. I could as well give you more money. Yeah, but he he got cheated. Shouldn't he fight for it? Go to Bedin. You can go to Bedin if you want, or you can just trust Hashem. You can trust Hashem. I remember Rav Mizrahi, Rav Yosef Mizrahi Sheikhir, said a story one time where somebody cheated him. Somebody cheated him in business in some kind, and uh, he wanted to take him to Bedin. And he went to his Rav and he said, uh, "I want to take this guy to Bedin." And his rabbi said, why? He goes, well, because he did something, you know, something bad. He goes, okay, no, so he did something bad. No, why are you taking the Bedin then? 
Rabbi Yisrochel says, well, we have a whole section of the Gemara. Baba Batra, Baba Mitzia, Baba Kama, a whole section of the Gemara. Talks about going to Bedin, you know, things of Chosh uh, Mishpat, all types of lawsuits and so on and so forth. So it's a Mitzvah to go to Bedin. Yeah, it's a Mitzvah to go to Bedin. People don't, you know, that don't have a Munah. Rabbi Zaki says, ah, now you know the answer. If you have a hundred percent emunah in Hakadosh Baruch Hu, then you know that what he said is true, and he said everything is written for you in Shemayi. What you're gonna get and what you're gonna lose and what you're gonna spend. Gemara Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page sixteen. Masechet Baba Metzia, Masechet Beitza. Multiple places in the Gemara talks about how Hakadosh Baruch Hu already decides how much money you're going to get. How much money you're gonna get? How much money you're gonna get? How much money you're gonna keep? How much expenses you're gonna have? All of those things are decided in Shemayim. Yeah, but he just stole from me. He didn't steal from you. He stole. You, on the other hand, your money's on hold. What do you mean it's on hold? Perhaps Akadosh Bakhu is trying to see what you're gonna do. Akadosh Bakhu is trying to see what you're gonna do. If you believe in him and you do all the right things that are necessary to do, then Akadosh Bakhu will give you the money back. And if he doesn't give you the money back, then it wasn't yours to begin with. It wasn't yours to begin with. He'll get punished. The other guy will get punished. Don't worry about it. He's not, you know, going sky free. Kadosh Baruch still runs the world. But as far as whether it's your money, it's only if Kadosh Baruch gives it back to you. If he gives it back to you, that means it was your money the whole time. He was just, you know, pretending like it's his. Kadosh Baruch will give you the money one way or the other. And it doesn't have to come from the thief. It doesn't have to come from the thief. It comes from a million and a half other ways. He could... Take a million dollars from you, and Akadosh Baruch will give you two million dollars in a different way. You have to be smart and have enough Yilat Shemayim to know that the two million is connected to the one million. That's what Emunah is. Of course, it's very hard to have Emunah in a world full of criminals. Because every five seconds you have to have Emunah. Emunah, Emunah, Emunah. Rabotai, there's no better life than having Emunah. No better life than going to having Emunah. I remember one time I had to go to a Bedin with somebody that was a thief. And... After that, decided that uh, he invited me to a bedin, uh, so I wasn't, I couldn't say no. I had to go. Once a bedin invites you, you have to go. If you say no three times, it can put you on chelim. So, so somebody invites you to a bedin, go to a bedin. The funny thing is, he was the thief. He was the thief. I brought my information. He brought his information. There was pretty much, pretty much anyone with eyes and ears saw that he's a liar. I have all the proofs in the world. He just has words. What was his argument? Your own Ruben's a better speaker than me. So maybe he's giving his argument better. So forget. I'm a mute. Yeah, look, information. Look, this is what we did. Da, 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 da. This corrupt Bedin tells me, listen, takes me to the side. One of the rabbis pretends to be my friend. Listen, yeah, you're smarter than him. And uh, you're right. You did all those things. And technically, yeah, you have, you have something. Yeah, you're right. But he's not so smart. Just settle with him. Give him, you know, just, just. I'm looking at myself. Is this a serious situation? You're telling me I'm right. You're confirming he's a thief, but you're asking me to settle with him? Why? This is unfortunately what happens. This is unfortunately what happens in corrupt Bedins. And Gemara says, Mashiach is not going to come until all of these corrupt Bedins are uprooted from the world. Of course, there are good Bedins in the world, but there are also corrupt Bedins in the world. Best suggestion is rely on the Bet Din of Shemayim. Bet Din of Shemayim is the best Bet Din in the world. Let HaKadosh Baruch Hu run the world. Of course, if you, if you can't handle it, if you're talking about 
something that's too much of a test for you, go to a Bedin. But remember, it's a, uh, the, uh, it's a priority that uh, you have to uh, uh, go to a Bedin and not to a secular court unless you have a permission from a secular court. But nonetheless, don't think that just because you're religious and you're observing the mitzvot that the world is going to be, uh, there's not going to be any criminals in your way. There will be plenty of criminals in everybody's way because the world is lacking Yilat Shemayim. Anyway, we have here that uh, Avram teaches us that if you have fear of the Almighty, you follow what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it doesn't matter who steals and who says this and, and does another, in the end, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bless you with everything. With everything. Furthermore, in Parashat Chayesara, and don't worry, but B'zot Hashem, we're going to get to this week's Parashat Toldot, Avram, Avram reminds us a little shiur about Emunah. Why? Because Eliezer tells him, listen, if I'm going to go to this place, what if she doesn't want to come with me? What if this girl doesn't want to come with me? What's going to happen? Says Avram, so it says that Avram answered him, answered Eliezer, beware not to return my son to there. Meaning, don't think for a second that you could take Tzak over there. Why? Hashem, the God of heavens. If you break up this verses, you'll see what the blessings are. How many things that Avram is bringing up to remind us. Hashem, the God of heavens. Look what he did to me, in essence, he's saying. Who took me from the house of my father. That's already saved me from idolatry. And from the land of my birth. From the, uh, 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 the, the um, Nimrod that wanted to kill me. Who spoke concerning me. Meaning, Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't just take care of me. He spoke to me. Spoke to me. Who swore to me, saying... Meaning, he made promises to me. To your offspring will I give this land. He made promises to me. He will send his angel before you and he will take a wife for my son from there. But if a woman will not wish to follow you, you shall be absolved of this oath of mine. However, do not return my son there. In so many words, Abraham is trying to teach his emunah. Abraham is trying to teach his emunah that how do you have emunah? First and foremost, Look how many times HaKadosh Baruch Hu has blessed you. You have a spouse, you're married, already it's one blessing. I know sometimes people look at their spouse like a curse, but I promise you, if you know how to work on the tools that we discussed in our Shlom Shu last week, if you work on those tools, your spouse will turn into a blessing. If you don't work on those tools, then obviously it's a curse. But nonetheless, if a person has a spouse, blessing number one. Person has kids, blessing number two. Have a job, blessing number three. A way to make a living, blessing number four. Having a job, making a living are two different things, by the way. Not everybody that has a job can make a living, and not everybody that makes a living has a job. You're healthy, Baruch Hashem, another one. You, uh, you have uh, different people in your life that you care about, care about you, another couple of blessings. And on and on and on and on and on. A person starts counting all of the different things they have. You have the ability to speak, you have the ability to see, you have the ability to smell, touch, hear. All of these things are blessings. If a person starts looking at their life and all of the things they have versus the one or two things that they're lacking, 
it's very easy to develop emunah to be able to overcome the obstacles that are in front of you. But if you only look at the things that you're lacking, surely you've already lost the battle. Surely you're going to be very, very miserable in your life. So Avram says, look how many things the Kadosh Baruch gave me. He spoke to me, he saved me, he did this, he did that, he did everything for me in the world. I'm not going to believe him that he's going to believe in him, that he's going to give my son a wife. And a, a wife that's a kosher wife that's going to come back to him and not uh, make him chase after her. Tell him, tell him something like, no, listen, I want to live next to my parents in Germany. Yeah, but my kolel is over here in uh, Florida. My kolel is in, a, uh, in uh, New York. My kolel, my rabbi is in uh, Israel. I don't want to go to Germany. It's just to be next to your mother or your father. Yeah, but I want to live here. If not, then that means you don't love me. A woman like that, run away from her. Why? There's a woman that's still a child. Still a child. A woman has to leave her parents' home, go to her husband. She wants to stay with her parents, let her marry her parents. You find somebody else. Find somebody else. Many times I've dealt with Shlom issues and almost 9 out of 10 times when it's a situation like that, when either the husband or the wife are still married to the parents, it never works out. They end up with a divorce. They end up with a divorce. And you can all usually tell if the person is married to their parents or they're looking to get married to somebody else early on based on how involved their parents are in conducting the wedding. There was one guy told me that um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the woman's uh, father was very wealthy and uh, was so involved in preparing the wedding because he was paying for it that he did not allow the husband, meaning his future son-in-law, to invite the guests that he want. He only limited it to immediate family members. Even though it was a huge wedding, hundreds of thousands of dollars, he didn't allow him to, uh, to invite whoever he wants. He limited him. Why? Oh, we want only people. We're paying for it. We're this, we're that. Okay, don't pay for it. We'll do it. No, 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 no. My daughter's going to have this type of wedding and that type of wedding, and we're not going to do anything less than that. And this poor guy wasn't thinking with the right head, was thinking about, okay, it's just a one-time thing. I'll uh, get married and then uh, I'll have, he'll give me some money and I'll be able to do this and I'll be able to do that in his dreams. What ended up happening? Even after the marriage, the father was constantly involved in their life, constantly coming to their house on a regular basis, uninvited, constantly involved, involved, involved until divorce. That's it, the end. And that's what happens, unfortunately, many, many times where people are not really looking to get married. They're just looking for, you know, somebody, uh, like a friend or something. So a person needs to know if you want to develop emunah, first step of developing emunah is count all of the good things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for you. And to find things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for you is very easy. Just simply look in the mirror, look at your life. Don't just focus on the bad things that are happening to you or the difficulties that you're dealing with. Yes, of course, all of us have difficulties, but again, that's not all you have. Avraham says, look, if you believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you'll see miracles. Why? We have a Masoret, Boteach Be'ashem, Chesed Yisovevenu. Someone that has confidence in Hashem, has bitachon in Hashem, only kindness will surround him. Where do we see this in the Torah? Chayesara. It says, Vayomer Adonai, Elohe Adoni, Avraham, Akre na lefanai ayom va'aseh chesed im Adoni, Avraham. So it says that uh, Eliezer, uh, was praying, praying to HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu in the merit of his rabbi, in the merit of his rabbi. Also another source where we see people pray in the merit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, in the merit of Rabbi Meir, 
in the merit of uh, Baba Sali or the Baba Cherebi, whoever you're praying in the merit of somebody else, it's not a new invention. It's even uh, Eliezer Eved Avraham did it where he uh, prayed to Akadosh Bahu that in the merit of Avraham, please uh, do chesed for me. And what did he get? He got the chesed, he got the kalah that he wanted. Just like we see here, so here we see that one, one perfect example. Furthermore, we go, we see that Eliezer was a Talmud Chacham and a Talmud of Avraham. Not just Talmud Chacham, but Talmud of Avraham, meaning that he did the same thing as his rabbi. When, when Avraham Avinu was not able to give a Shi'ul Torah, the Midrash says that Eliezer would replace him. He would give the Shi'ul Torah. Where do we see that in the actual Torah? That after Hashem sent Eliezer Rivka and he saw this is the Shiduch for my master, what did he do? First thing, blessed Hashem, just like his master did. What did his master do? What did Avram do? Avram blessed Hashem. Avram blessed Hashem. So Hashem did the, uh, the uh, uh, God of the heavens. He did this for me. He did this for me. He's a blessed, 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 blessed. And that's what as Eliezer did. He also blessed Hashem as soon as he saw something good. As soon as he saw something good, he blessed Hashem. And he became even more proud to be Eved Avram. When, uh, when, uh, when a person tells me, Rabbi, can I wear a hat instead of a kippah? I ask him, why? You have a big head? No kippah matches your head? I mean, I kind of have kind of a big head. Size 13 kippah. I found a kippah that matched my head. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not because of a big head. Then why, why do you want to wear a hat? Oh, you know, because... You know, I don't want to know people, you know, it's anti-Semitism. And you know, people have something to say. I said, tell those stories to your grandmother. Maybe she'll believe you. You are ashamed of being Jewish. You are ashamed of being Jewish. You are ashamed that God is your master. You are ashamed to even think of being a servant of Hashem. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Eliezer. Eved Avram. Eliezer is proud to say, Vayomer Eved Avram Anochi. Eliezer is proud to be the Eved of a human being. That's a tzaddik. That's Avram Avinu. He's proud of it. He's telling people. That's how he identifies himself. He doesn't say, Oh, I'm Eliezer Smith. I lived in uh, this street. Uh, my parents go this. My father is Nebuchadnezzar. He's a really powerful king and he has a lot of money. No. I am Eved Avram. The servant of Avraham, Avraham, Doledot, Tzadik, Kodesh, Kodeshim. That's Adam Eved. If Eliezer is proud to be an Eved Avraham, and you are not proud to be an Eved Hashem, you're not proud to be uh, a maid servant of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're not proud to say, I am modest. Why? Because I am the servant of Hashem. I'm a servant of Hashem. That's why I'm modest. Yeah, what about if people say something about your kisulosh, that you have a little turban on your head and they make fun of you? Let them make fun. It's like dogs bark. We're going to start uh, uh, start uh, taking every every dog's tongue out. Let them bark. What do we care what they say? Oh, what about the anti-Semitism? Anti-Semitism only happens if HaKadosh Baruch Hu decrees it. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu decrees it, 
anti-Semitism happens. It doesn't happen because of a kippah. It doesn't happen because of kisurosh. There are plenty of Muslims in the world that walk around with their heads covered and there's no uh, Islamophobia like people think. It's all nothing. All nothing. You have to be proud to be a Jew. If you're not proud to be a Jew, you have a very, very serious problem. Why? Because you have a rebuke from Shemaim that Eliezer was proud to be an avid of his master. That's a human being. Needless to, lay, needless to say, he was the avid of Hashem. But he was saying, I'm avid of Ram because Avraham is my teacher. Avraham is my rabbi. But the point is, Abu Karim, you don't need to say that you're the avid of your uh, rabbi, but you definitely should say that you're proud to be a Jew and you're proud to be an avid of Hashem. You're proud to be Eved Hashem. Now, last night we learned a little bit about Lashon Ara. And we said that uh, a person needs to be careful. A person needs to be careful what they say because the issues of Lashon Ara are not so simple. It's not just about saying things that insult another person. It's not good or false, which is Mutsi Shemra. It's not just that. It's even complimenting another person, saying something good about another person, you have to be careful doing that. Why? Because if you're doing it too much, over-complimenting them, Al-Chai is, you're making a sin. If you are doing it in front of his enemies, or in front of enemies, you're saying to everybody how beautiful she is, next to your friends that hate her, that's Lashonara. You've turned your compliment to Lashonara. Now, where do we see an example of the danger of speech? Also, Pashat Chayesara, where Rivka, Rivka Teora, Rivka Tzadika, Rivka Imenu, Vataged Lebet Imakit Varim Aele, that Rivka told her mother's household, according to these events, she told them about what happened. She met this guy Eliezer, he has 10 camels, and uh, he says he's from the house of Avraham. She was telling her house, what did it say after that? And Rivka has a ach, a brother named Lavan. And he ran outside as soon as he heard this. He ran outside as soon as he heard this. Why he ran? Something unusual here. Upon hearing his sister, Rivka's words, saying, this man has spoken to me, he ran outside, he approached the man who was standing on the camels. In the English translation, in this article, it says, standing by the camels. But anyone that knows Hebrew knows that it says, Omed alagmalim. Al means on top, on top of the camels. So what is that? Eliezer standing on the camels? Yes. Eliezer standing on the camels. Why? Why is Eliezer standing on the camels? The Zohar says, as soon as Lavan heard that there's some rich guy outside that gave his sister some money, ah, perfect, takes his machete, runs outside to go kill the guy. He ran outside. Eliezer, Eved Avraham, who blessed HaKadosh Baruch Hu, just like his master who blessed Hashem got miracles, Eliezer got miracle. Miraculously, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made all of his camels climb on top of each other 
in an instant like a pyramid and Eliezer on top of him hence the reason why Lavan stops cold and says come come you're blessed from Hashem you're not a normal person you are blessed from Hashem why would this kofer Lavan say come blessed of Hashem why because he saw I can't mess with this guy this guy in two seconds went from being on the ground like everybody else to he's uh 50 feet in the sky 50 feet in the sky but here we see also that even though Rivka did nothing wrong you still have to take a lesson from this she said certain things about complimenting good things that happened to her but she didn't realize there's an enemy of everybody next to her Lavan. So here we have beautiful teachings from Parashat Chayesara. Eventually, the uh, plan of Lavan and his father Betuel fails. They try to kill Eliezer by poisoning him. Hashem does not allow that to happen. Instead, sends an angel to switch the plates. And uh, Lavan's father, Rivka's father, dies instead. That's why he's not mentioned. The following day when Eliezer wants, says we want to leave let us leave now don't delay me they say stay why stay meaning mourn for the father no no there's no mourning we got to go so that is the lessons from Parashat Chaye Sarah that so far we've learned a lot but we're still looking for more we're still looking for more we still need to toil a little bit more later on Parashat Toldot this week's Parasha it says Ve'ele Toldot Yitzchak ben Avraham Avraham Olid et Yitzchak says this these are the uh, offspring uh, of uh, Yitzchak, son of Avraham. Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak. Did Avraham give birth to Yitzchak? No. So why does the Torah say Avraham olided Yitzchak? Avraham gave birth to Yitzchak because there was a lot of lashonara in those days because Avimelech kidnapped Sarah before she got pregnant with Yitzchak. So people said, ah, 90 years they're together, they didn't have a kid. They're captured by Avimelech one day, and all of a sudden she's pregnant? Oh, surely this kid is a mamzer. Surely this kid, Yitzchak, is not really Avraham's son. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that takes the honor of his, uh, his tzaddikim even more stringently than his own honor, protected the tzaddik Avraham. How? He miraculously made Yitzchak's face look identical to his father Avram. So much so that people would not know the difference between the two of them. They didn't look alike. They were identical. It was as if the same person is in the world. Twice. And that's why it says Avram olid Yitzchak. It's as if Avram gave birth to Yitzchak. Why? To protect the honor of the tzaddik. But also showing us again another example of how Lashonara and Rechilut, Motsi Shemra, you know, saying bad things about people, false things about people. It's very, very dangerous. A person needs to be careful of that. So before you say something about somebody that's a bad person, you have to have the proof. Hence the reason why I tell you guys sometimes we're working on cases 
for months or even years before we ever talk about them. Why? Because we want to make sure that everything we bring to the public is 100% validated. Whether it's the Amenov or the Mazes or the Manases or any of the other Deshaim out there, every single one of them that we brought, we brought evidence. And even the stuff that we've shown is not even everything. There's a lot more. But it would simply bore most people. Either way, we have the enemy of Am Yisrael born during this week's Parashat, Parashat Toldot, which is Esav. Where initially, Rivka is a uh, confused, she's pregnant, but one baby wants to go, pushes, goes crazy every time she walks by. The Bet Midrash, the Kolel, the Be'ezat Hashem Kolel in Yerushalayim, with six Avrichim over there, or another Kolel in Harnof, another 30 Avrichim over there, or 25 uh, Avrichim over there. Yaakov Avinu wants to go to Kolel. Wants to go learn with Rav Shavit, Rav Shlomo Shavit. Wants to go learn with Rav Gidon Ben Moshe. Wants to learn with uh, Rav Ephraim. Wants to learn with Tzadikim. Excited. But then she goes, and by, you know, on the way home, there's one of these missionary places. One for Israel, Imach Shimam Vizicham. They have a building somewhere. And she walks by that. And all of a sudden, the other baby goes crazy. Oh, Yoshke, Yoshke, Yoshke. Shem Ishmo So, oh, what's going on over here? If this is what's going to be, a baby's going to be an idol worshiper. One day he's religious, the next day he's an idol worshiper. Better off not to do it. One day he says he's orthodox, the next day he's inviting a bunch of Christians to the synagogue. What is he, Ephraim Goldberg? What does this say? One of these Reshaim out there? I don't want this. I don't need it. She goes, She goes, praise to those Bukhus. She says, this is a nightmare. Giving, a, giving a birth to a child that is confused is a nightmare. Why would a child be confused if he sees the parents are confused? She says, well, I'm not confused. I believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What can I do? She has to go pray to Hashem. I'm not confused. My husband's not confused. We're all religious. We're all keeping Torah and mitzvot. Why is the baby confused? He hasn't even been born yet. Why does he go crazy when he goes next to the kolal? And then he goes crazy when he sees the missionaries. What's going on over here? How can you live like this? Says Rav Shvadron, Shalom. Fantastic Chidush. He says, what is Rivka trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us, it's better to have one son that's an Orthodox Jew that keeps the entire Torah and one son that's an idol worshiper and not to have a son that is confused. One day he's religious, the next day he's going to nightclubs. Better to have clear cut. Let him be an idol worshiper, at least we're not confused. None of us want such a thing, but it's better to be, to know what we're dealing with and to be one of these manipulators. One day he's here, one day he's there. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, don't worry. You have two nations inside you. It's not one baby, it's two. Two babies inside you. Says the Gemara Masechet Avodazara, page 11a. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Rivka, you have two nations inside you. This is not a typical nation. This is not a typical relationship. Why? Gemara Masechet Megillah says, when one is up, the other one is down. If somebody comes, tells you that the church is built, 
Rome is built and the Bet HaMikdash is built, they're a liar. Not possible. If somebody tells you the church is destroyed and so is the Bet HaMikdash destroyed, don't believe them, they're a liar. But if they say the church is up and the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed, believe them. If they say the Bet HaMikdash is up and the church is destroyed, believe them. Why? That's the way HaKadosh Baruch designed the world. They cannot both be up or both be down at the same time. One is up, the other one's down. They cannot coexist with harmony. Just like there's no peace in the Middle East. That will never be. So, but for a moment in history, the Gemara says, for a moment in history, there was peace. Between who? Between Rebbe HaKadosh, Rabbi Yudah Nasi, and his Chavruta Antoninus. Antoninus was born to a uh, to a uh, to the Rome in the Roman Empire his father was a uh, clonimus and uh, no I'm sorry his father uh, uh, was uh, one of the uh, Roman Caesars uh, clonimus was actually the father of Onculus anyway Antoninus was a uh, Roman born a Roman and uh, but later on converted to Judaism and he was the Chavruta of of Rabbi Kadosh. And uh, the harmony between them was as if Esav and Yaakov were, uh, were friendly for a while. Now, and there was many chidushim in the Gemara by Antoninus. It was an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. Now, the commentary in his Gemara says that uh, really one of the things that uh, we also learned from this Shtegoim, that there's two nations in your stomach, is Arab Gedalia show in uh, Sefer O Gedalia in Parashat Toldot says that really the ideal situation was supposed to be that there would be two nations, but the two nations were supposed to have harmony between them and have a complementary partnership. Where Esav, that's a Ish Yudzed the man that knows hunting, was supposed to defeat the evil people. While Yaakov, who's a Ish Tam Yoshev Alim, who's a perfect man who dwells in the tents, meaning he promotes Torah, promotes good, he is going to do that. Whereas Esav is going to fight the enemy. That was what it was really supposed to be. But Esav did not fulfill his role. Had he fulfilled his role, says Arab Gedal Yeshul, Esav would have actually been father to six of the tribes, and Yaakov, six of the tribes. But because Esav, knew the truth, but still went against it, HaKadosh Baruch Hu hated him, and therefore removed any good, any good that he would have, any good partnership that he would have with Am Yisrael, he became the enemy. And he gave all of the, all the good to Yaakov, all of the blessings to Yaakov. Yaakov became the father of all 12 tribes. But yet we see that Esav still has a lot of blessings in the world, if you will. You see that Esav has Tons, trillions and trillions of dollars. The church is the richest entity in the world. The missionaries are, you know, partying everywhere. They're unfortunately catching a lot of prey out there. How could this be? How come people keep going back to the missionaries? Whether the missionaries are heretics that are Jews uh, or they're heretics that are Christians, uh, whatever it is, the point is that we see that there is a problem here. The, the, the Aminovs, the Michael Aminovs of the world, and the partnerships with the church, the, the, uh, the Drokasutas of the world that speak favorably of Christianity, the, uh, the Ephraim Goldbergs of the world that invites the Christians to the synagogues, and all types of other strange creatures in the world that pretend to be Orthodox Jews, 
bringing the Christians into the Jewish world, we see there's something wrong here. We see that this, this, it's not kosher. It's not kosher. There's something wrong. Why? Why? In the parasha, we see that Esav will do anything to meet his physical desires. That's why his name is Edom. If you like math, we don't call you a mathematician just because you like math. If you like to eat cheese, we don't call you Mr. Cheese. But Esav, we call him Edom because he asked for red, red stuff. The very red stuff, so therefore we call him pretty much Mr. Red. Edom. Why? Because the name defines who he is. He is a materialistic junkie. And that's why he was willing to disgrace his birthright just for the sake of meeting his physical demands and desires. And that's, by the way, to answer the question of why would Hashem allow this type of deal to take place? I mean, after all, it looks like cheating. It looks like Yaakov cheated. He got all of the blessings, all 12 tribes under his belt, all of the blessings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be the chosen people for a bowl of soup, for, 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 some, for, for some food, for stew. doesn't make sense. It says in the Pasuk, Because Esav disgraced or spurned the birthright, he did not value the birthright, he did not value the blessing of, uh, of Hashem. Instead of learning from his grandfather, Avraham that blessed Hashem for everything, for the good and the bad, instead of blessing Hashem like Avraham's servant, Eliezer, instead of blessing Hashem like Yitzchak did, like Rivka did, instead of blessing Hashem like everybody else did, Avraham didn't care for the blessing. What? This car? It's not even new. It's in 2021. Eh, not even that good. This house? Eh, you know, I've seen better. No one of those people. Nothing's, nothing's good enough for them. person like that loses everything in the eyes of Hashem. Loses everything. It's an ungrateful person. And because he was ungrateful and he disgraced the birthright, the deal was perfectly fine. Why? Because he himself did not value the birthright and therefore what he sold it for is what he actually thought it was worth. The fact that he realized later on that it was worth a lot more is his problem. He shouldn't have disgraced it in the first place. But anyway, we see here that the blessings go to to, uh, to Yaakov, they go to Avram, to Yitzchak, to Yaakov. But yet, Esav looks like he's winning at times. And we even see it in Parashat Toldot. few examples. We see that the uh, Avimelech says one thing to, to Yitzchak. We'll do deal, we'll do good. But then he changes his mind. Changes his mind. So, Yitzhak lets it go. Tries to find some water. Finds it. Water is, water is good. They found the hot water, right? Avimelech's people come. No, 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 this is ours. What do you mean, James? I just found it. No, 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 we already dug it. You just, you just happened to find it. Now, Yitzhak can go to a Choose not to. 
says, if this is mine, the Kodesh will give it to me anyway. Mevater. Mevater meaning, let's it go. Yeah, but you did all the work. Okay, I did all the work. So what? Move on. The Kodesh wants to give me a blessing, give me a blessing. Moves on. They come back again. They come back again. After he finds another uh, wellspring. This is ours too. No, we just did it. No, 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 no. It's ours. It's our land. What does uh, uh, Itzhak say? No problem. Take it. First place, he calls it Esek. Second place, he calls it Sitna. Different places where, in so many words, symbolizes that they took advantage of him. Well, at least they thought. But Itzhak Avinu shows us that Someone has confidence in the Kadosh Baruch Hu, only kindness will surround them. He relocated there. This is chapter 26, verse 22. He relocated there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over this one. So he called it Rechovot. So he found another one, and then what did he do? What his father does every time a Kadosh will give something, blesses Hashem. Blesses Hashem. Yeah, what about all the difficulties? Why did Hashem make you work so hard until he finally gave you Panasa? Apparently, I need to work hard. If I didn't need to work hard, then a Kadosh Baruch wouldn't have made me work hard. If it needed to come easy for me, then Hashem would have sent it to me easy. If I needed to work hard, that means I needed to work hard. A Kadosh Baruch decides if I need to work hard. Not me. I just try. I am responsible for effort. So now that I got the Panasah, Baruch Hashem. Yeah, but it could have come easier. No, it couldn't have. Why couldn't it have? Because if it could have come easier, it would have come easier. If a Kadosh Baruch Hu decrees for it to come easier, nothing in the world can stop it. These people didn't steal from me. A Kadosh Baruch Hu took it because it didn't belong to me. A person understands that, only kindness will surround them. So it looks like Esav is winning because they keep taking stuff from us. But don't worry. Kadosh Baruch Hu give us the blessing. We keep going. We keep going. Now, another teaching we have. We learn in uh, same chapter 26, verse 27, where it says that Abimelech came back. All of a sudden, he wants to be friends with Yitzhak. And he has the chutzpah to make it seem as if like he's his friend. We've indeed seen that Hashem has been with you Let's make an oath between us, just like we didn't molest you, we haven't done anything bad to you, we're only good to you. You do good to us now, bless Hashem. What? Meaning they forgot about the fact they stole from him, they cheated him and everything else. This fulfills the verse that, I, uh, that uh, we have in the Tanakh. Abotech Hashem. Someone has confidence in Hashem, only kindness will surround him. But how is a bunch of crooked people coming and telling you that they only did good to you when they really did bad to you and they want to be partners with you, they want to help you, they want to be friends with you? How is that chesed from Hashem? Because it fulfills another prophecy. What prophecy? When a Kadosh Baruch Hu is happy with your actions, even his enemies will come and say, I'm sorry. When you see a prophecy come to life in your own life, in your own eyes, that's Chesed Hashem. That's kindness from Hashem. 
It's kindness of Hashem. You see, my enemies came and said, I'm sorry. I see the Torah come to life. And because of that, Yitzchak, let it go. No problem, we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay. Yeah, but they were bad people. Okay, but they said, I'm sorry. Said, I'm sorry. He let it go. Of course, he doesn't trust them blindly. He says, no problem. There's no need to fight. He lets it go like he did before. They leave him in peace. And then it says, As soon as they leave, these ticks that pretend to be his friends, but in reality, they're just trying to take advantage of him. He knows, like, who's the one who runs the world? As soon as they leave, they leave in peace. There's no war anymore. Unnecessarily, what happens? They find another treasure. They find more water. Water is like oil today. Diamonds or whatever else is worth a lot. And this particular verse has a prophecy in it that perhaps we haven't seen in previous years the way we see it today. What is the prophecy? This place that Yitzchak finds water, this blessing that he gets for letting things go and simply having 100% emunah in Hashem, this particular place gives a prophecy to us. Not just that if we trust in Hashem the same way, we'll also get good, but also look at this, that the blessing will last forever. How do we see it? And he named it Shiva, and therefore the name of the city is Be'er Sheva until this very day. The Torah that was written 3,334 years ago says because he found it this way and it came in such a blessing, he named it Shiva. And because it was named Shiva, this place of water, the whole city was called Be'er Sheva. Okay, thank you very much. No, no, no. What's the prophecy? Prophecy is it's called Be'er Sheva until this day, meaning never in history will this place ever change a name. You go to Eretz Israel, you'll find a place called Be'er Sheva. Yeah, but they can call it Onkelos. They can call it Pikachu. They can call it uh, whatever they want to call it. They can call it, I don't know, like. They call it Meta, like Facebook. They're going to call it Google. Why don't they change the name? Because Akadosh Baruch Hu says, this is a sign that when I give a blessing, for someone who has bitachon in me, the blessing is permanent. The blessing is permanent. They do not have the power to change the name of the city until this day, 3,000 years later. What fake book can say such a thing? Obviously, this is divinely inspired. This is a divinely inspired book. This prophecy alone is enough to prove any normal person that there is 100% divine prophecy in the Sefer Torah. This could not have been given by mankind. This is only by God because a human being, it's a man-made book, it's a, it's a fake book, cannot make such a promise to say that in 3,000 years from now, this place that I call Pikachu is going to still be called Pikachu. The reality is most people, their names don't stay the same. Usually people change their names once or twice during their life. First he's called Joey, then Joe, then Jonathan, then Jujuju Pukachukapa, whatever they're called, Jukim, and you're, during his life, he's called 50 names. A guy's name during one life changes his name. A girl, a Shemishmal, she'll change her name 500 times, especially if she is a Kabbalist. She wants to go to every rabbi and he gives her a new name. 
people's lives change their names people's uh everything their addresses change so to say that there is a place in the Torah that says this place in the world will never change its name 4,000 years since the time of Yitzhak Avinu has passed and the name of the place is still the same they can go right now government documents change it that's it it's a mistake in the Torah will never happen why once it's written in the Torah no power in the world can change it no power in the world can change it Rabotai. if that's not clear proof that the Torah is from the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that decides what reality is not lives in reality the Torah is what decides what reality is which means that if it's written in the Torah that is reality your perception is irrelevant reality is what's written in the Torah HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Zohar HaKadosh says looked at the blueprint that is the Torah all the rules that are in it and then created the world in the Torah there's a rule of kosher he created kosher animals kosher fish kosher birds in the uh, in the Torah it says that has tarat mishpacha family purity so you made the female with a time of the month a menstrual cycle in the Torah it talks about there's a place called Be'er Sheva therefore there will be a verse in the Torah there's Be'er Sheva and that place will never change why because the Torah says until today what day four thousand years ago no today now now today now tomorrow now next year now in a thousand years will always be called Be'er Sheva this Rabotai is amazing if you really understand it but just like just like Rabotai Karim there is this reality because it is written in the Torah there is also another reality another reality that will put all of the pieces together that we've talked about we've talked about the Shonara we've talked about these missionaries we've talked about the divine nature of the Torah we've talked about all of these people look like they're winning this Esav these heretics these Amaleks look like they're winning what is the secret of Amanov what is the secret of the Dawson's what is the secret of one for Israel what is the secret of these missionaries Aurin, these heretics this menaces this mazes what's the secret of all of these wicked people help us HaKadosh Baruch Hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps HaKol Kol Yaakov HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us another prophecy that's in the Torah in the narration says there's a story when Yaakov comes to get the blessing but he has to pretend like he's a Sav he has to pretend like he's a Sav because a Sav is a criminal a Sav is a liar a Sav is a nochel a crooked corrupt person although he sold the firstborn rights he reneged on it even though there's no reneging although he knows he's living a lie he continues to live it although he knows the Torah says there's only one God he wants to believe in a human being he's a nochel he's a rasha and Yaakov knows what am I gonna do what am I gonna do with this guy I gotta get the blessing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. what am I gonna do he goes to Ima he goes to the Torah and his Ima says to him you have to play the way he plays 
You have to play the way he plays. Here, you have to pretend like you're him. Look like Esav in order to get that blessing. She puts on Esav's clothing on him. And now Yaakov comes to his father Yitzchak who is about to have a prophecy to give his son an eternal blessing. Not just for him but for all of his descendants until this day and until the end of the world. This is not a blessing of Be'ezot Hashem you'll have Parnasah one day. This is not uh, good, uh, good luck with uh, getting married. No, no. This is a prophecy and in essence this is decreeing what will be in the world because this is written in the Torah just like Be'er Sheva. And if it's written, therefore it becomes reality. The blessing that he will get will become the reality of the world. Hence the reason why he insists to go get the blessing and his mom pushes him. The law of the Torah pushes him to go get the blessing. It's yours. You got it. You did a deal. He sold it. It's your firstborn rights. You have to go get it. Even though he doesn't want to let you do it. Even though he's going to get in the way. Go get it. Go get it. And in the process of this whole story, the Torah gives us a prophecy. A rule of nature. A rule of nature of why the Reshaim are winning or looks like they're winning why do they keep getting new customers why would anybody go to an Aminov or a one for Israel why because the Aminovs and the one for Israel's and the Mezas and the uh, Goldbergs and the Manises and the Drolls and all of these Reshaim they have the voice of Yaakov but their hands, their actions are Esav. All of the naive people, all of the ignorant people who do not know Torah fall prey to these people. Why do they fall prey? Because they don't know that it's not just sounding like Yaakov. You have to act like Yaakov. So what happens? One for Israel comes to them. Or Aminov comes to them, or Meza comes to them, and he sounds like Yaakov. He says God. He says God. He says uh, uh, Torah. He says Jew. He says all types of key words that the average ignoramus says, wow, this guy's knowledgeable. Tzaddik. He even sometimes has a beard. He even sometimes has these little peyot. He even looks like a chassid. He's a dozen. But he's a Nutsri, he's a Esav. Akol kol Yaakov, ayedayim yedei Esav, rabotai yekarim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that these criminals will continue on winning in certain aspects against the people that make themselves the victims. How you make yourself victim? You didn't learn Torah. You didn't learn Torah. You'll fall prey for these people. You'll fall prey for these people. They'll fool you. They'll pretend like they're tzaddikim and they'll say certain things to you and you'll think that they're tzaddikim. You'll think that they're good people. you think that they're honest. But in reality, they're liars. In reality, they're thieves. In reality, they are Esav. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Esav, et Esav saneti. Esav, I hate him. He knows the truth and he still goes after the falsehood because of his physical addiction. Hence the reason why he's called Edom. Rabotai Karim, 
if you want to protect yourself from these spiritual terrorists these criminals the only way is by chasing the truth of the Torah and learning as much as you possibly can to know what the truth is at all times and glue yourself glue yourself to the truth glue yourself to the source of truth to the rabbi that you have glue yourself to the holy Torah and protect yourself from all of these voices that sound like Yaakov but the actions are the actions of Esau this is the only way that we can protect ourselves from all of these people this will give us the tools necessary to be proud of this holy war that is necessary for us to survive with that being said you guys can ask some questions after I get a little drink Joel's asking, is Esav Yeshu going to reconcile with his twin brother Yaakov? Uh, reconcile meaning they're going to be friends again? No. There is a, um, uh, a Gemara and a Midrash that says that uh, Esav tries to break into heaven, but Hashem kicks him out because Esav is evil, and therefore evil cannot exist in heaven. Uh, even though he, had, uh, he says that he had a merit of uh, kibbutz avaim hashem says your merit of kibbutz avaim is fake just like your actions why how is it because unlike people hashem says to him i know what's in your mind i know it's in your mind and you really didn't honor your, your parents you really didn't honor your father why because your father loved you but he also loved your brother yaakov but as soon as you saw the Yaakov got the blessing, you said in your mind, it says in the Torah, it says a verse over here. In uh, chapter 27, verse and Esav thought, meaning this was in the heart of Esav. And it's still written in the Torah, which shows us a proof that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what the thoughts of man. Esav thought, may the days of mourning for my father draw near, then I will kill my brother Yaakov. Meaning what kind of person that says he honors his father wishes for him to die? So you didn't honor your father, you honored your desires. And as soon as your desires were interfered by your father's will you wished for your father to die so for that even for that merit that you thought you had there really wasn't any merit and therefore there is no heaven for Esav he is the Tum'ah of the Tum'ah Dennis is asking how does a person know if someone they've met is their life and their life is their potential Shiduch uh, on the other hand, a test from Yetzirah that says a potential Shiduch, if she's modest, monotheistic, uh, but that's because she's Muslim. <laughs> okay, so if you are Jewish, 
if you're Jewish, then uh, you know, then you are not going to meet some random person uh, in the street and say, "Oh, this could be my my soulmate." If you're Jewish, you're a religious Jew, then you would go on a shiduch, meaning that you are going on a date with somebody with a intention of discovering whether you are going to uh, agree to get married after a certain amount of dates of getting to know each other. There is no physicality whatsoever. There's no intimacy. There's no holding hands. There's no kisses. There's nothing. You simply go and you talk to a person as many times as it requires to know if you're on a both, both on the same page in order to build a home together. And for all of those people that think, no, but what about falling in love? Don't you need to be physical in order to fall in love? No. In fact, it's the opposite of what the Torah says. Where do we learn that from? Parashat Chayesara last week, where it says that uh, in uh, chapter 24, verse uh, 67, and Yitzchak, bought her, meaning Rivka, bought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. He married Rivka, he, she became his wife, and he loved her. Meaning that only after he married her and she became his wife, meaning they consummated the marriage, only then there, were, there was love brought into the world. So you cannot consummate a marriage without getting married. So if you're a Jew, you're going to meet somebody and... See if you're on the same page, if you have the same ideology and goals in life, then, and obviously there's some, you know, attraction there, then you guys can decide to get married, and then the love will follow after you get married. There is no love beforehand. The only thing that exists before marriage is lust. Uh, love does not exist before you get to know somebody on their worst days and on their best days, and you're not going to get to know that while you're still uh, uh, dating, even if you're dating for 10 years. Hence the reason why many people that date uh, a certain person, call them their boyfriend, their girlfriend for five, six, seven, eight years, end up getting divorced four or five months after marriage. They dated and acted like they were married for five, ten years. But five months after really getting married, they got divorced. Why? Because all they had when they were dating and doing things that were against the Torah was lust. And that's what the Satan was allowing uh, to, to, to exist. The lust was going to carry them. But once it... Uh, the, uh, uh, they were following what the Torah says, that lust wasn't going to keep them going. That lust wasn't going to keep them going. It has to, there has to be some love. So that love requires a lot of patience, requires a lot of uh, uh, character development, requires uh, a lot of selflessness, and so on and so forth. Uh, requires you to watch this you from last week about Shlomite. Requires a lot of good things. So that type of love is developed. So if you're a Jew, you're going to go through that way. If you're a non-Jew, you still technically should, you know, need to go through a similar route. Not necessarily a shiduk system. I don't know if there's a, uh, a structured shiduk system in the uh, non-Jewish world. I mean, I know there are matchmakers uh, that, uh, that get people to meet each other, but they're usually very, very expensive and, you know, really catering to wealthy people. Uh, but if you want to meet somebody, the best way to meet somebody in the non-Jewish you know, world is to be introduced to them. Uh, be introduced to them by family, friend, by, uh, you know, if you're part of some type of uh, 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 group that of like-minded individuals. And of course, you want to make sure this person has, again, the same ideology as you, just like a Jew would. Meaning, they have to have the same beliefs as you. 
uh, and they want to have the same goals. But if she believes in Jesus and you believe in God, obviously this is not going to work out. You're going to have a very miserable marriage. And unfortunately, many people that have left Christianity and uh, their, their uh, spouse did not, most of the time it ends up being a very, very uh, miserable marriage that ends up in divorce. Why? Because those ideologies cannot coexist in, in harmony. So you have option A, get divorced. Option B, try to help this person discover the truth and, uh, and, and get them to go, you know, jump on the bandwagon, which is very difficult, but possible. Uh, and option uh, C is do nothing about it and uh, stay married to a person that has completely opposite beliefs that you do and pretend like you guys are still in harmony, which is uh, really uh, impossible, but people pretend like they do because they don't want to suffer the pain of uh, divorce, uh, not realizing that the, the, the pain that they're causing themselves by staying is sometimes even worse. Uh, so as far as meeting somebody in the secular world, generally speaking, uh, it's a, a good if you could be introduced to them uh, or if you could meet them in a uh, some type of uh, group, uh, study group uh, or something that is not just, uh, you know, like... Um, know a bar or something don't meet uh, don't meet your potential spouse in a bar or some uh, strange public place and the reason why I say that is because even though there are obviously some marriages that happen and you know that uh, start from those places many times those types of relationships lead to promiscuity and lead to a lot of problems uh, because if she met you at some bus stop and she said okay uh, so quickly then she probably did the same thing with other people uh, and if he said, okay, so quickly, then they probably did the same thing with other people. And you may not care about that on day one, but you may actually care about that on day 300, uh, a year later. So that's the thing. People need to understand that if you're going to meet somebody uh, in some random place, generally speaking, it's, it's going to be very difficult to see uh, clearly because usually the things that carry those types of meetings are lust. Uh, and not a clear head where you're looking for somebody with the same ideology. So it's again, I think today it's easier to meet people that are like-minded because of the internet and different tools that Hashem put into the world. Uh, there are plenty of uh, uh, Noahide groups on, uh, on Facebook and on the internet in general where uh, people are communicating. Uh, so I'm sure you can find somebody there. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's not easy but I wouldn't uh, ever recommend for anybody to settle for something less. Meaning, just because you're lonely doesn't mean you need to marry an idol worshiper or somebody that hates your beliefs. Because that's just asking for, for problems. It's better to be uh, uh, lonely than to be miserable with, uh, with somebody else. Uh, and uh, and I, don't, I, know, I know some people believe the opposite. It's rather, rather to be miserable with somebody else than, than lonely. But if you're alone, but you have some type of harmony, then you continue learning Torah, continue serving Hashem in peace, and continue growing, and just wait for the blessing to come at some point. Whereas if you're uh, just pushing and pressing the envelope and just falling for the trap of the Yetzirah and end up uh, going with somebody that has the opposite ideology to you, it's going to be very, very hard for you to continue growing, and most likely you'll end up falling with that person. So you have to be patient, you have to be selective, and uh, you have to pray to Hashem. To give you the blessing that uh, you know that uh, that you need uh, and that you want. Now, as far as uh, 
as far as dating in general, I think that uh, one of the gr greatest things that Judaism teaches is that there's no intimacy before marriage. Uh, and I think that should apply for everybody, not just uh, for, for Jews, simply because if you are intimate before marriage, then it's very hard, very, very hard to think clearly if this person is right for you because you have lust in you whether you like it or not. Uh, so if, if you haven't started already, uh, then uh, you shouldn't start. And I see that people that uh, we, uh, we have as students and different people that we know, when they go and try to meet somebody to get married, the people that are, uh, that have, have, have reserved themselves or preserved themselves uh, and did not allow themselves to be public property tend to have a much easier time making a decision of moving forward or not. Uh, the people that have been very promiscuous in their life uh, tend to have a lot of trouble finding a person uh, and mainly because they've corrupted their mind with so much garbage that no one can ever live up to their expectations. He has seen so many women in, 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 their, in, the, in the clothes they wear in a shower that, uh, you know, he simply, no one could ever live up to his expectations that he has from seeing the movies and the internet and the real life that he put himself into. And no woman in the world can live up to that where she'll be at tzaddikah, a sarai menu, but also look like this prostitute that he wants her to be. No one could ever live up to that. Everyone has some type of deformity in his eyes. And the same thing goes with women. She, women that have been promiscuous have a very hard time finding somebody that will, uh, will live up to their expectations because they all had at some point some, uh, some uh, uh, sugar daddy that pretty much gave their everything until he threw her away. And, uh, and no one is willing to do the same thing for her. So no one can ever live up to this do-whatever-you-want mentality. And, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare and it's also very, very hard for other reasons. Uh, so the more you preserve yourself, the easier it will be for you uh, to, uh, to make that choice when the time comes. If you've already made mistakes, that doesn't mean you have to continue making them. So that's another thing. But Bezat Hashem, each person that uh, is looking to uh, serve Hashem and, uh, and, and uh, do the right thing, Hashem will send them the blessings when the time comes. Uh, Adrian is asking, why does Avram and Eliezer do a uh, touching the uh, leg, the brit, if no man could ever touch or even look at his own brit? Worse, if it's another man's brit. Uh, does not lead to homosexuality. How is this understood? Ah, very, very good. So there is, this is a very good question. Uh, now, the reason why people uh, view certain things in certain ways is because of what they've gone through in their life. Meaning, Avraham Avinu was so holy that he viewed his brit as the holiest part of his body. And when it comes to sexuality uh, or sensuality, he did not view it any different than you view your you know, finger. His finger and his brit, when it came to that, were the same thing. It was irrelevant. He view it, viewed it as a holy thing, as something that was holy and the most prized possession that he has. And that's the reason why multiple times in the Torah, we see that it's the, the Brit is used 
as the way to make a covenant where Avraham makes a covenant with Eliezer, uh, uh, Yaakov makes a covenant with uh, Yosef. Multiple times in the Torah we see that the hand goes under the brit, uh, the hand of the other person goes under the brit uh, to say this is the uh, 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 the most prized possession that I have, which in essence means that this deal is a of similar value, is of similar importance. Uh, and that's why there is no fear of homosexuality and, uh, and, and filth in a Torah. Now, we no longer do this anymore, but that's because of, unfortunately, our many sins. That people have sinned so much uh, by corrupting their mind to such an extent that the average person cannot even understand the words that just came out of my mouth. How can you look at a brit as a holy thing? The average person cannot actually understand what that means because the average person has corrupted their mind with so much pornography, with so much promiscuity, with so much filth that they're simply incapable of thinking with purity. This is the same concept of what is written in the Gemara in a few places where there is a uh, 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 certain uh, things that are discussed about the male member of a uh, certain tzaddik, about the male member of uh, Nebuchadnezzar as a punishment, and all types of things that if a person is pure, they understand the purity at its purest form. If a person is not pure, then they will look at it in a distorted fashion. Now again, you don't need to feel bad if you look at it in a distorted fashion. This is simply an outcome of society. And this is the goal that we have, each one of us, is to achieve what's called Kedusha. Kedusha means holiness. And holiness begins with our perception of sensuality. The more a person views sensuality as a holy thing, the purer their mind is, the further they'll run away from sins, and in fact, the more they will find the sinful behavior simply revolting and disgusting. Not forbidden, but disgusting, which is much worse. Forbidden, everybody knows a lot of things that are forbidden, but they still do it. But disgusting, people generally don't go towards the disgusting. And the goal of every person is to cleave to Hashem in such a manner that they find immodesty disgusting. They find homosexuality disgusting. Hashem says homosexuality, bestiality, and several other things in the Torah are called an abomination. An abomination means, it's, Hashem calls it disgusting. Disgusting means that it's, to the average person, the equivalent of somebody else's vomit on top of a dead animal in the street. That's disgusting. Disgusting is, you know, opening your fridge and seeing, I don't know, some uh, pig's stomach uh, open over there on top of your uh, food, uh, full of maggots and worms. That's disgusting. Uh, disgusting is uh, all types of uh, human filth uh, all over the place or, 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 or dogs or all, all types of animals. That's disgusting to most people. A person is supposed to have some type of visual of some of the things that I mentioned or the like 
in their mind at the time that they see things that are disgusting to Hashem, such as immorality, immodesty, homosexuality, all of these things that Hashem says are disgusting, a person needs to look at them as disgusting. And anything that Hashem says is holy, they need to view it as holy. Meaning that if a person really achieves Kedusha, or is trying to achieve Kedusha, that means that when they see a woman that is has beautiful features, attractive woman according to all uh, 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 standards, if you will, but she's walking around with immodest clothes. The average person is getting aroused from this, but that's because they have a filthy, disgusting mind full of tuma. The holy person will view this as disgusting. Why? Because he knows that Hashem finds it disgusting, and therefore this person, if she doesn't do tshuva, she will get burned in genom, her skin will melt, all of the members of her body, pieces of her body will fall out, be rebuilt, fall out, be rebuilt, she'll feel all of it, there'll be worms, maggots, and all types of creatures coming in and out of her body, especially the uh, orifices that she tried to, uh, to embellish, and so on and so forth. Masechet Geinom in so many words. What we talked about in the Shiobah Geinom, a person that sees an immodest woman really needs to think like that. Really needs to think, this is a very, very sad case. I feel bad for the woman because she's just so disgusting I don't know how she lives with herself. Now, the average person is looking at this girl as if she's uh, God's gift to creation. He can't even look at her because he's so revolted by her. That's a holy person. Now, this is not very common because not everybody works on Kedusha, but this is the goal. Secondly, a person that is trying to be holy in comparison to a person that's not, a person that's not holy looks at sensuality between him and his wife as simply a way to meet his desires or meet her desires. They have a desire, they need to satisfy it, and as soon as they satisfy it, if the other person could simply disappear, that would be ideal. Uh, it's, it's, that's unfortunately the way people look at sensuality. Uh, that's also the way it's being taught by some so-called Erev Rav rabbis like Shmuli Boteach, Imach Shimo, and uh, Manus Friedman. All these people that teach uh, sensuality, they teach it in such a fashion that they make you start thinking like a somebody from a pornography film. It's disgusting. Now, a person that looks at his wife or the husband as simply a way to satisfy their desires as the priority in life, as the main thing, is only one throw away from being a rapist, only one throw away from being a pedophile, only one throw away from being a, a, a wife beater, only one throw away from being a adulterer and every other type of criminal out there. Why? Because as soon as that desire is not met by that partner, they will look for it elsewhere. It's just a reality. That's why the divorce rate is so high and why adultery is so high. Both men and women are cheating on each other because they view each other as simply flesh that will allow them to meet their desire. And many times they have a desire that's greater than the other person and therefore they go elsewhere for it, either for pornography or they go to other people or a combination thereof. But either way, it's a disgusting lifestyle and a person that understands what I just said 
and watch the Tikkun Abrit movie and, and, and really takes that into their life, understands, okay, I don't want this. Okay, so what do you want? What you want is you want to look at the act between a man and a woman that are not married as disgusting, revolting, gross. Whatever you view as gross, view that as gross. The, the act between a man and his wife when she's nida, gross, disgusting, horrible, and so on and so forth. But the act between a man and his wife when she is pure, she went to the mikveh and, 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 and they're permitted to be with each other, that's holy. That is holy. That is something that brings the kedusha to the world. That is something that is beautiful. It's holy. The fact that it's enjoyable is just simply kindness from Hashem. But this, even without the pleasure, is supposed to be pleasurable because of the amount of holiness that a person is creating. And just like a person enjoys observing the Sabbath, learning Torah, uh, eating uh, kosher food, or whatever it is that they, whatever mitzvah that they enjoy, they're supposed to enjoy the creation of holiness in such a fashion as that they are actually enjoying it beyond, beyond just the fact that there's another piece of body that is uh, uh, next to them or, 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 or with them. So a person that understands that this is creating holiness in the world knows that every aspect of it is holy, including the things that other people view as, the, as, 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 as uh, you know, lustful. It's, it's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to uh, do everything as long as a person doesn't waste seed. Uh, the rats with the Rambam, Paskins, I uh, have a whole shiur about kosher intimacy. It's, there's nothing wrong with enjoying it, but there's something wrong with enjoying it for the wrong reason, meaning that a person simply has filthy thoughts in their mind. If a person is with his wife and he's thinking of another woman, that's like an adulterer. And Chachamim, the Rabbi Yochanan says that's uh, it's a doubt if in heaven they consider that child like a mamzer. It's it's a uh, meaning that what's in the mind of a person is of extraordinary importance. Of extraordinary importance. If a woman thinks of another man while she's with her husband, there is a very serious problem if a child comes out of that. There was actually a a, a famous story where there was a, a woman that, uh, uh, that gave birth and, uh, and, and the baby was uh, of dark complexion. And uh, the, the husband, which was a king, uh, was white. He wanted to kill his wife. They asked, uh, I, I believe it was Rabbi Akiva, to, uh, to get involved. And uh, Rabbi Akiva saw that this is actually his child. But how do you prove it to the king? How do you prove it to the king? He asked him some questions. And the question, the question do you have a picture of, of somebody in your bedroom. And they said, yes, who do you have a picture? And they saw, they have a picture of somebody of dark complexion. And that's what the woman was looking at when she was intimate with her, with her husband. And this actually happened even recently, in, in recent years. There's a, uh, stories that are similar to that. The point being is, is that if a couple is together and they're, they're, they're doing something as a mitzvah, they're doing something for the sake of holiness. They're doing something as this is another way that we're serving Hashem. The whole thing is beautiful. The whole thing is holy. The whole thing is enjoyable, uh, regardless of what the age is, regardless of uh, the, the amount of time it takes, 
regardless of, uh, of, of anything else. It literally becomes a blessed act. When people are thinking of filthy things in their mind, he's thinking about somebody else, she's thinking about somebody else, he's thinking about uh, this, she's thinking about hopefully he's going to finish soon so I can go back to cooking, Uh, he's thinking about uh, when the game is about to start, Uh, she's thinking about, uh, I can't believe I have to do this, you know, uh, half the month. You know, their minds are in the wrong places. Of course, this is not going to be holy, and needless to say, it's probably not going to be fun either. So a person needs to look at the intimacy between him and his wife as another way to serve Hashem. No different than a Kohen that brings a Korban to the Bet HaMikdash. This is no different. This is no different than that. Now you say, wait a minute, but that's holy, and this is also holy. Kedusha is also holy, and in fact, you're going to say, wait, but this is really intimate, and maybe it's ugly. So what, are you telling me that uh, slicing the throat of an animal is a beautiful thing? In the eyes of Hashem, yes, because it says, Reach Nichoach, says that Hashem enjoys the smell. What does it mean Hashem enjoys the smell? He doesn't, Hashem doesn't enjoy smells or sights, but rather Hashem enjoys seeing His children obey Him. So when they do a sacrifice, Hashem enjoys it, meaning Hashem is happy that we're doing His will because therefore He can give us good. So just like to the average person seeing a slaughtering of a cow uh, as it could be gruesome, but if you did it in a Bet HaMikdash, it becomes beautiful. Why? Because you've sanctified the material. The same concept with intimacy between a man and a wife. If you've sanctified the whole act, you prayed before you were together, you, uh, you read Tehilim, you studied some Torah, you prayed to Hashem, you even have Hashem in mind when you're together. This Rabotai becomes a holy act that's beautiful, that's pleasant, that is much, much greater than anything the secular, filthy, disgusting world can ever offer you. But again, it has to be done in a certain way. It has to be done a certain way, which begins with cleaning our mind. The cleaner the mind, the more pleasant the outcome. The less clean, the more filth is generated. And this is also one of the difficulties that people have that leads them to cheat on their spouses, even if they love them. He says, I love her, but he still cheats on her, either with pornography or with a real person or both. How could you say, I love you and still cheat on a person? Simple. Their physical needs have taken priority to their to their emotional uh, uh, connection. So a person that only thinks about things in a uh, materialistic uh, uh, way is bound to do things that are against uh, his and everybody else's interest. But a person that is, uh, tries to sanctify the material sanctify the physicality is a person that's going to bring a lot of good to themselves and a lot of good to the world so much so that they'll even understand and that's and that's uh, Chachamim teach us that when the seed of the husband goes inside the wife even if it doesn't generate a baby it actually brings good to the marriage brings good specifically to the wife so again there's is uh, things that probably uh, uh need further uh, discussion uh, in privacy but nonetheless there's more than just uh, the uh, the uh, the animalistic desire is, is my point if 
a person is simply looking to fulfill an animalistic desire may Hashem have mercy on them may they have mercy on themselves because they're bound to uh, to uh, to reach a peak and then it's downhill from there divorce happens adultery happens uh, 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 all types all the bad things in the world happen to people like that but when a person looks at the act between him and his wife as something holy they literally sanctify the material she looks forward to more than just being with her husband he looks forward to more than just being with his wife there is more to it there is something holy in it i don't know how to explain it better than i did i hope that this is reaching somebody's uh neshama and they're understanding uh, what i'm trying to tell them uh let's see robert's asking how do we instill confidence in our children while still trying to teach them humility uh, one of the best things to teach children is uh, the, the stories of the sages. You know, when the younger their kids are, uh, the more you have to teach them through stories and not a uh, direct, uh, uh, direct explanation because many times children don't view uh, things the way their parents do. They don't see what they're doing as wrong. Um, so, uh, but if you, uh, you know, help them think and analyze things in a way that they can arrive at the uh, at the right conclusion then uh, you'll help them uh, ar- arrive at what's right and wrong so when you teach them the stories of the different tzaddikim that have lived throughout uh, history and Baruch Hashem there are many uh, they'll learn how to behave through those stories they'll learn that he was generous therefore they'll want to be generous they'll learn that he or she was uh, humble therefore they'll want to be humble so if uh, if you uh, if you teach your kids through stories, then uh, the kids are going to learn what they, what to admire and what they want to be. Uh, but to just tell a kid, listen, you have to be confident, you have to be humble. It's it's very hard for for a child to really grasp that uh, until they really reach maturity. But at that point, it's usually more difficult to teach. Uh, you have to start early, and uh, the best way to do it is through stories. Uh, I'm early in the process of converting, uh, not living in a Jewish community yet, and some of my neighbors have mezuzah, but do not seem observant. Okay, what's a good way to approach them to do kiruv? I've never talked to them before, but often see them while walking my dog. Uh, the best way to do things is if you have uh, some uh, CDs. Or some uh, flyers that we have, or you know, you put it in their mailbox. If uh, if not, then uh, you can order some. If you can't order some, then uh, or you live too far and it's too expensive, or whatever the case may be, then uh, you could uh, somehow find a way to meet these people, uh, you know, over time. But uh, if you want to, let's say, to meet a lot, some, you know, let's say if you have I don't know, twenty neighbors. To meet 20 people could take a very long time. Uh, if you want to do it faster, simple. Just uh, you can make a, uh, I don't know, a homemade flyer or something. If you, if you have no money, you have no uh, uh, way to afford anything, there's no way to get you anything. It's simply you're like in the middle of, I don't know, uh, end of the world or something, and you happen to live next to Jewish people, which is rare, but I'm giving you a hypothetical scenario, then just, you know, Take a uh, pen and uh, or a marker and write a uh, note 
anonymous note with a website and put it in their mailbox. Uh, and you could do that with 20 or 50 or 100 people if you want. But generally speaking, the best way to do it is by giving people CDs or uh, um, USBs or all types of other material. Uh, that's usually the best way to do it because since they don't know you, uh, it's very unlikely that they're going to uh, be receptive to you telling them that they should start uh, observe the Sabbath or anything else. They don't know who you are. Uh, and especially if you're not even Jewish yet, it's virtually impossible for a Jew uh, to, to listen to someone that's a non-Jew for uh, uh, about about Torah uh, when when they're not already uh, in it to begin with it's you know it's the ego gets in the way who are you to tell me you're not even Jewish that's the mindset even though you could be right about everything that you're saying and you are right about everything that you're saying um, the average person that's ignorant is automatically going to assume they know more than you just because of the fact that they were born Jewish which of course is wrong but that's unfortunately their ego talking, not not their uh, their brain. So you have to know that already ahead of time. And the best way to do Kiruv with people like that is to, like I said, get some CDs, some flyers, put them in their mailbox. Uh, if you have the uh, you know if you have the means, buy them a Kiruv package, put it in their mailbox. Uh, you could even give it to them in their hand if you want. But uh, try to do what's what I call indirect Kiruv, meaning you're giving them the material, uh, uh, you know, we're actually, you know, going to be the ones that teach them. So at least they're not intimidated by uh, some stranger talking to them uh, that's not Jewish and that uh, they uh, don't necessarily uh, care to get a rebuke from. Uh, next, uh, can a Jew or a Noahide lead a known idol worshiper in prayer? If they know the idol worshiper is thinking of an idol, can a Jew or a Noahide lead a known idol worshiper in prayer? What do you mean lead an idol worshiper? What does that even mean? If the person is uh, an idol worshiper, why is he praying with you? Why is I mean, if, if you're a Jew and you're praying, let's say there's 10 Jews in a room and um, they're praying and then an idol worshiper comes in and he wants to pray to his uh, Jesus, he wants to pray to his Buddha, the Jews can continue praying and simply act as if this idol worshiper doesn't exist. They don't have to leave the room because he is praying to some idol. Uh, the place doesn't become an, uh, a place of idolatry just because he walked into it. Uh, they continue praying as much as they want. Uh, but if uh, you're talking about uh, something else, then I'm not understanding the question. I think I understood it, but that's my answer. Joshua is asking, what's the difference between the uh, Takana and Alakha? Very good question. Uh, Alakha is the uh, decided law uh, that uh, most of the time is already decided at the time of Mount Sinai. And um, the, uh, there's Alakha Moshe Sinai, where we have certain rules that we know from Moses. And there are certain Alakhot, certain uh, laws that were... Uh, uh, interpreted by the sages throughout the years, uh, that of uh, the, the sages of the Gemara, sages of Mishnah, and so on, uh, that uh, we have the laws from there, and then uh, of course uh, we have uh, today all Jews that are observant follow what the Shulchan Aruch says. Now that's halacha. 
Uh, and that's the law that was decided either at Mount Sinai or through the interpretation of the Torah by the sages using the, uh, the uh, unique rules in order to decipher halacha. Uh, you can't just decide what it is just because you like something. You can't just decide it's blue even though it's pink because you like blue better. Yeah, there are certain rules that the sages had to follow in order to arrive at the specific conclusion. And that's the same thing with uh, people that uh, are poseks today, where they're interpreting the pre-existing halacha and applying it to a specific situation. They're not creating any new halachas. They're just interpreting how the existing halacha applies to specific situations that are not obvious, uh, such as uh, you know how fire... Uh, and not being allowed to light fire on the Sabbath applies to uh, not being allowed to drive on the Sabbath, uh, and so on. So that's alacha. Takana, takana is supposed to be a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 I guess, an addition or a specific change that is uh, could be even contrary to alacha, contrary to alacha for a specific amount of time. Uh, it's not usually supposed to be forever. It's supposed to be for a specific amount of time. And typically it's for the sake of protecting Am Yisrael and the Torah. Uh, it's not something that's supposed to be in perpetuity. And it's, uh, it's not something that is uh, supposed to uh, just be taken lightly. It's uh, supposed to be something that is uh, only done at uh, desperate times. Uh, where the uh, sages of the generation see no other way to resolve a situation. No other way to resolve a situation. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. The, uh, uh, the uh, Syrian Jews uh, saw that there is a lot of intermarriage in their, uh, in their uh, communities and a lot of uh, you know, young Syrian boys were uh, finding themselves in relationships with non-Jewish girls that uh, were interested in uh, converting to Judaism, but not for the right reasons. They were interested in converting to Judaism just because they wanted to be with the guy, they wanted money, they wanted uh, things that had nothing to do with God. And uh, the, the leaders of the Syrian community saw that uh, there were many uh, bad conversions being made uh, and there was no way to simply uh, uh, get, you know, convince people to do good conversions. So the, the sages of the generation, this happened almost 100 years ago, uh, they uh, made what's called a takana in order to, and forbid all conversions in the community, meaning any Syrian Jew that, uh, uh, that marries a convert is in essence supposed to be kicked out of the community uh, and uh, not accepted uh, as, uh, as part of the community. Now, this was technically supposed to uh, last for a, a period of time, not forever, uh, and was, uh, was actually a very effective tool that uh, slowed down intermarriage in the Syrian community dramatically. The problem is that uh, they never removed this takana, uh, and the takana... Uh, has turned into a uh, something that's not exactly uh, protecting intermarriage as much as it used to, and even more so, it's actually sometimes creating hatred among Jews. Uh, 
where uh, instead of it being used as a tool to, uh, to protect the Syrian community itself from uh, intermarrying, uh, it's become a, uh, a, a tool that uh, certain t- types of Syrian Jews misuse to insult other people uh, by, let's say, for example, somebody that converted uh, a legitimate conversion somewhere else. He's not a Syrian Jew. He's, let's say, somebody that was born in Spain or somebody that was born in uh, Bulgaria or Colombia or wherever he was born, Russia. And he, out of the goodness of his heart, out of the uh, goodness of her heart, out of the uh, you know, desire to serve Hashem, discovered the truth and decided to convert. Had nothing to do with any Syrian Jew, had nothing to do with any, anything. Just simply they wanted to serve Hashem. And unfortunately, many times these people uh, come to the uh, Syrian community and are, uh, are um, kicked out. Uh, asked to leave, insulted, uh, mistreated, frowned upon, and you know, and, and you could add whatever adjective you want, and it most likely would fit at some story. Uh, so uh, it's it's become an ugly thing. Why? Because they figure, oh, we don't accept converts. Yeah, you don't accept converts among yourself. Not if somebody else com- converted somewhere else to accept a convert that's a righteous convert. He, that he did it somewhere else or she did it somewhere else there's a biblical obligation to do so a biblical obligation to do so in fact there's 36 places in the Torah that says how much you have to love the convert and how much Hashem loves the convert even more than a natural born Jew uh, and uh, how he protects the convert so uh, unfortunately a lot of ignoramuses and uh, and idiots have turned this act of uh, of, of, of protection for the Syrian community into a, uh, a weapon of mass destruction, uh, you know, of, of hurting other converts. And, and it's not once or twice that I've heard uh, arrogant, ignorant idiots tell me uh, that uh, they wanted to remind me that they're Syrian and, you know, in the Syrian community, we don't accept converts, meaning that I wouldn't be accepted or somebody, one of my students wouldn't be accepted or somebody that I know wouldn't be accepted because they're a convert. People like that, it's doubtful if they have a share of the world to come. Doubtful, most likely not. Uh, most likely not, but it's doubtful. Doubtful, and they can't say 100%. Because the amount of damage that they do with such a statement, which of course is not the only statement they make, is so, uh, it, they literally murder people with such statements. When you tell a, a, a you know, female convert that is not related to your kila, is not looking to marry any of you, simply, they're there. They're at a, I don't know, a mutual, an event that you both find yourself in. And you tell this convert, oh, you know, I'm Syrian. We don't accept converts. You're simply murdering this person in cold blood. And the same thing if they do it to guys. You're murdering this kid in cold blood. And this is a, uh, this is a horrible, horrible thing that is unfortunately common. It's common. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've even had a story that I've told publicly where I had a student went to a, uh, a, a mikveh uh, here in Florida and uh, when uh, the, uh, the, uh, the rabbi of the kila found out that she's a convert, he kicked her out of the mikveh. Kicked the woman out of a mikveh. So, I mean, this is murder. This is not, this is not a uh, takana. This is not what the holy sages of the holy Syrian community meant or intended. This is idiots. 
that unfortunately do it. But some of those idiots are rabbis. Some of those idiots are just average ignoramuses that think that they are a better breed of Jew than other people. People like this are people that it's a mitzvah to, uh, to, to go against them and uh, to do everything possible to, uh, to, to uh, show them that they're uh, fakers and they're not following what the sages said. And most of the time you see that those people violate the Torah in much, much worse ways. Uh, they think that, oh, I'm not marrying, uh, you know, I'm not allowing conversions, but you end up seeing these people go to a mixed beach or mixed dancing or, uh, or, or eating taref or going to casinos or stealing in their business and a million and a half other crimes that you see them doing. But chas v'shalom, they ever uh, accept the convert. So a takana is supposed to be made for the sake of protecting a community. But again, it's not intended to be a permanent thing although some of them are long-lasting. It's not supposed to be a permanent thing. And it's, in essence, a, uh, a move that the sages decree because it's the only option. I'll give you another example that's in the Gemara. Uh, the Gemara says that uh, there was a, uh, at the time of Yanai, Yanai, the, the, uh, not Yanai, the, uh, the time of the Greeks. The Greeks forbid uh, the Jews from uh, uh, using Hashem's name in anything. And uh, after the Hashmonaim defeated the Greeks, the, uh, uh, what ended up happening is that this, the sages and, and, and the people wanted to make up for lost time, that they weren't allowed to put Hashem's name everywhere. So they made up a, uh, a custom, if you will, that put Hashem's name everywhere. Now the sages saw that this turned out bad. Why did it turn out bad? Because they started noticing that people are putting Hashem's real name, you know, in uh, you know, saying uh, El Elyon, uh, the, uh, the the uh, the 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 uh, the king of uh, the uh, of heaven, uh, you know, they were using Hashem's uh, real name or one of the you know one of the holy names of Hashem on traditional documents that would go into the garbage, you know, they would put it on different types of standard letters, you know. All right, listen. Uh, uh, I, I want to buy uh, three horses from you. Signed, Moshe. The uh, son of the master of the world and the god. Da, 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 da. And they send it to the guy, gets the letter. Oh, he wants to buy uh, a few horses from you. Okay, fine. He throws in the garbage, writes the guy a letter back. He's also, uh, he puts God's name on it. This became uh, obviously a, uh, a desecration of Hashem's name. But the, uh, the average person did not see this that way. The sages did. So the sages made a takana that you're not allowed to use Hashem's name at all. At all on any of these documents. And uh, when they saw that the people listened to them and stopped using Hashem's name, they decreed it a Yom Tov. Meaning once they saw people stop doing it, they said this is a big celebration, we'll make this into a Yom Tov. So the question is why would this turn into a Yom Tov? I mean, they listened to the rabbis. What's the problem? Rashi says that they turned the sages decreed a Yom Tov because they didn't think that the people were going to listen uh, to a rebuke. And therefore, when they saw that everybody listened to the rebuke, they viewed it nothing short of a miracle. And therefore, if it's a miracle, just like the miracle of Hanukkah, just like the miracle of Purim, just like the miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf, it's a miracle, it needs to turn into a Yom Tov. So this was also, again, a Takana. Uh, and there are others that are similar to our history. Uh, the point being is, is that 
when you have the sages that are, uh, you know, that are uh, uh, holy and, and are able to put it in place, remove it, uh, educate their people about how to use it, then it's perfectly fine and recommended for each community uh, to have whatever takanot they deem necessary. There's no problem with it whatsoever. But when you have ignoramuses uh, and arrogant people and so, you know, self-interest uh, starting to, to push their weight around in order to uh, do things that creates a lot of problems. So again, there's a lot of good in the Syrian community. I don't want to say that the whole thing is bad. As I called it already several times, it's a holy community. There's a lot of good things that they do. But this is one of the ugly things that is there. Uh, that's well known to other communities. And uh, I'll tell you even a side story that one time, just to show you how, how, how uh, 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 hypocritical people are. How hypocritical people are. I one time uh, was in a Bedin. I was in a Bedin and uh, I brought one of my students to, to, uh, to a Bedin. And um, they asked me to sit on the Bedin also. Uh, and uh, I said no problem and uh, but then I realized that it's not just for my student it's for somebody else also so I sat on the bedin and uh, this person wanted to convert and you know we're asking him questions and things and then I you know there was some rabbi that uh, that came also but I asked how come he's not on the bedin and uh, I told him, why don't you come on a bedin? It's fine. You're, you know, you're a senior to me because he was older than me. Why don't you come on a bedin? No, 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 I can't. I can't. I said, why? Why can't you? He says, no, I can't. You can't even tell anybody I was here. <laughs> I said, why? What are we selling? Crack? Is it cocaine? Is it like what? I don't understand. And he says, no, I'm part of the Syrian community. We can't be involved in conversions. No one could ever know I'm, I'm here. And then he tells the guy... He said, I only came because I respect this guy. He's a good guy, but uh, you know, he knows not to tell anybody that I came. So this is a hypocrite. This is not humility. This is not a praiseable action. It was actually would have been better off had he not come because I think it's a disgrace to act this way, to be two-faced that way, to think that, oh no, I'm going to go honor this guy, but five minutes later, I'm going to turn my back then because he's not part of my community. This is a joke, a mockery of Judaism. This is not Judaism. So again, you have to call things as they are. And this is an ugly, ugly thing. Surely every community has some troll in it, some ugliness in it. And the job that we have as Jews, as teachers, as individuals, is to remove the bad and do good. If we ignore the bad, like it has been ignored in many places, then you have corruption build up drastically higher and become like a Aminov story where certain people that I talk to about this Aminov situation know the guy for over 22 years and say that his corruption was already known for over 20 years ago. Over 20 years ago, they knew about his corruption he got fired from Star K Kashrut because he did something bad over there. And everybody knew that he was doing corrupt conversions and doing a Brit Milah to Goim. I mean, it's just such an ugly, disgusting story that it seems like everybody knew. Like, no one that I talked to about this story from different communities in Israel, 
in uh, in New York, in Florida, in Arizona. It's almost like everybody knew this, but nobody said anything or whoever did say, which there are a few tzaddikim that tried fighting it, no one wanted to listen. Everybody wanted to continue pretending like everything's okay. And that's why now you have literally a small holocaust, a small spiritual holocaust happening in front of our eyes that the best case scenario, we contain some of the damage. To contain all of it is impossible. Impossible without divine will and major miracles, impossible. And I'll tell you why. This Aminov criminal, you have to understand the the magnitude of his criminality here. To make fake conversions like a Asher Meza, like a Aminov, like any of these people that either do it for ego or for money or for both, you don't understand what kind of like crime this is against the Jewish people because what happens is typically who these people convert are people that are not really interested in being righteous converts. They're interested in a certificate so they can tell people they have a certificate. It's like somebody cheated on a test in order to get a high school diploma or or a college diploma. That diploma is worth less than toilet paper. You could have easily done it for free and not have to pay $50,000 to get it. But people are stupid. They go to school just to cheat on a test. I never really understood that. If you don't want to study the information, don't go to school. But unfortunately, people are dumb and they do dumb things. And part of those people go to people like Aminov and Meza and go convert with them. What's the problem with that? Why do I have such a beef with those people? It's as follows. These people convert people that are not interested in really being Jews. Therefore, they're not accepting the yoke of the mitzvot at the time of conversion. Either because they don't even know those mitzvot exist. They don't know the obligation of observing Shabbat. They don't know the the obligation of modesty. They don't know the basics of Judaism, like the minimum, minimum requirement. They don't know it. And even if they did, they wouldn't accept it upon themselves because they're not converting for those reasons. They're converting for marriage. They're converting for money. They're converting for, I don't know, some certificate. They're converting for the wrong reasons. So that means that they can fool everybody in the world, but they can't fool God. And therefore, that conversion is not valid. Now, that's not bad enough. That's not bad enough. You see, when they pay for that conversion or they celebrate that conversion in some other way, they feel Jewish because they're ignorant people. They don't know what's Jewish, what's not. They don't realize that their, their conversion is not acceptable halachically. And what ends up happening is that they live telling people that they're Jews. And those people will eventually have children. And those children will think that they're Jews. Even though they'll grow up secular just like their parents, they'll think that they're Jews. They'll think that they're Jews. They'll say things that are Jewish. They'll even act Jewish at times. But according to the Torah, they are not Jewish. And what ends up happening is that the further you get from the original conversion, the more blurry the picture gets. And the kids will grow up. They'll be 18, 20, 25 years old. They're going to want to get married, most likely, to Jewish people. So even though they're secular, they still, like all other nations socialize with each other most often they're gonna want to marry jewish people and unless the jewish person that they want to marry 
is religious, and I don't mean just superficially religious, modern orthodox religious, somewhat religious. No, no, I mean like they are Haredi, and which means that they are very careful with their neshamot and with their decisions and with uh, who they're marrying and so on. So unless they're that, what's going to happen is they're going to marry just any average Jew that doesn't actually know enough about the details of conversion to double check who is the Beddin that converted this person, if it's a legitimate Beddin, if it's not a legitimate Beddin, and they're going to want to marry this person, they're going to marry this person, and the Jew will marry the non-Jew unknowingly, having non-Jewish kids that think that they're Jewish, and it literally it becomes a major domino effect and a literally a spiritual holocaust that is already gone to Israel, already Florida, already New York, surely in Arizona, because that's people that I'm talking to that are affected by this Aminov criminal are in all of those places where the Bukharian communities are in Arizona and Florida and New York and, and in Israel. And there are people all over the place that are victims of this crime and they don't even know that they're victims they don't even see it as victims they see what i converted what's the problem yeah but you don't even keep shabbat said about i have a certificate it says i'm jewish and my kids are jewish they decided they're jewish because they have a certificate and they paid fifteen thousand dollars for it twenty thousand dollars for it especially when the more money they paid for it the more they think it's legitimately certifies that they're jewish so they're literally have a kosher stamp on a pig and this is a spiritual holocaust same same is happening with Meza just that he has converted a lot more people I think uh, according to him he converted over a thousand people and uh, those people not all of them Baruch Hashem, but uh, many of them tried to join the Jewish communities and unfortunately some of them succeed in joining the Jewish communities thinking that they are Jewish not realizing that their conversions are not valid uh, and therefore, uh, those people will have children that think that they're Jewish and they're going to want to marry Jewish people. And you're going to have Jews marrying non-Jews unknowingly. And this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy of the highest proportions. So as far as the, uh, uh, as far as the, 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 these types of things, we have to understand that the ramifications of uh, these perpetrators are enormous, literally enormous, and people are not paying attention uh, to the magnitude of the damage. And it's sad. It's sad because it's a, uh, it's 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 really such a high proportion. It's such a tragedy. It's uh, you know you meet people and and they think that they're Jewish and they're really not, and you know and sometimes they don't even know what it means to be Jewish. They just think it's just you know going to Bikneset twice a year eating kosher at your house, that's it. You know, they don't really understand what Judaism is. So this guy, Aminov, is, is a really, is a really uh, piece of work. Let's just say that. And all the people that do fake conversions are, uh, are hurting the public. And I don't even think that, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, I'm not of the mindset that all conversions have to be uh, uh, certified by the Rabbanut. I mean, you can have a kosher conversion even if it's not. Uh, a recognized Bedin by the Rabbanut. It's preferable that you do it to a recognized Bedin by the Rabbanut, but it doesn't have to be. It's just that these people's conversions themselves are not kosher because they themselves are not kosher and the students are not kosher. So that's, that, that's really the biggest part of the problem. 
the student itself doesn't really know what Torah is and, and what to do and how to do it, and uh, they're, they're converting them. So uh, when you have situations like this, it creates a lot of problems, it creates a lot, a lot of problems. Uh, and uh, that's uh, unfortunately a situation where only Hashem could really fix such a thing. Uh, it's sad. Uh, okay. Okay, guys. Uh, it's a little late. Yeah, I have to get ready for another shoe. Jerry's asking, can you explain a kosher beard trim? Does a barber have to be frown? Can I trim my own beard? Yes, you could trim your own beard. Uh, just uh, don't uh, shave with a uh, razor against your skin. But you could trim your own beard, no problem. The only thing that it's forbidden for a man to do as far as trimming is uh, the pubic area and under the armpits. That's forbidden according to the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, not allowed to trim, even with scissors, the pubic hair or the armpit hair for a guy. Women, of course, are allowed to uh, uh, groom themselves in whatever way they want, on their faces or anywhere else. But men have to be manly and cannot uh, do such things. If a person has, uh, you know, uh, like some of the young guys say, oh yeah, but I smell. Okay, so use a deodorant. It's a big scam. They make a lot of them. <laughs> you know, use a deodorant. It's, uh, you'll be fine. Uh, deodorant works. Uh, shower more often. <laughs> what can I tell you? It's, uh, uh, if, if a person's itchy, then uh, you know there's uh, talc. There's all types of creams. There's a million and a half different things. Is it permissible for a Noahite to learn about Kabbalah? or learn Torah from a Torah center, or does he have to fully convert? I have lectures that are specifically uh, discussing the laws uh, of uh, teaching uh, Noahides. Um, Noahides generally need to focus on learning the, uh, the, the, the Tanakh, five books of Moses and the other 19 books with commentary by the sages and Musar which is character development. Everything else, such as uh, Gemara, Kabbalah, all of these other things, uh, they should not learn that for multiple reasons. One of them is that uh, it's part of the oral Torah that's it's forbidden for them. Uh, and really, a, an, another obvious reason is that they won't understand it anyway. Uh, most Jews don't understand these topics of Kabbalah. Uh, and anyone that's teaching Kabbalah publicly is not really teaching Kabbalah. They're teaching what, you know, uh, they're, what, whatever they're teaching, they're calling it Kabbalah. No one that's a real Kabbalist teaches Kabbalah uh, publicly. It's, it's, it's the, the word Kabbalah itself means that you received, meaning that it's only taught from a rabbi directly to a student. And most of the time it's one-on-one. -on -one. One on two at most, and most issues it's only one on one. No one teaches Kabbalah, real Kabbalah, publicly. Anyone who says they're teaching Kabbalah publicly is you know, not telling the truth, or they themselves don't even know what Kabbalah is, which most people don't know what real Kabbalah is anyway. Uh, what's the significance of Yaakov resorting to seemingly deceptive tactics? I explained that, I think, in the Shiul. Were bad character traits created by us in previous incarnations? Uh, yeah, it's simply the, the uh, a person that um, 
follows his desires in a certain way, in essence, develops that desire further, gives that desire more strength, and that uh, the more strength you give something bad, the more it becomes a habit, and the more it becomes a habit, the more it becomes part of the person's character. So when a person has certain things in them already in this life, they, uh, they're, they're naturally an ag angry person, they're naturally stingy, they're naturally this. This means that this was already done in the previous life that they lived. They just haven't fixed it and therefore part of the reason of why they're here now is to fix that trait. Okay, Rabotai Karim, Tiskud Mitzvot Rabot. I appreciate everybody uh, learning with me and Bezat Hashem. We'll continue to uh, learn together next week. Uh, just as a, um, uh, this is a uh, thing. Uh, uh, next week, Sunday, there's no shiur, but we'll be back with Hashem on uh, Tuesday. On Tuesday. Uh, oh, last question here, simple question. Jose is asking if it's allowed to have rabbis' portraits at home. Uh, not only allowed, it's recommended. You should have pictures of tzaddikim in your house and uh, on the walls. It's good for the children to look at. It's good for, for everybody to look at the faces of tzaddikim. Uh, this is uh, definitely a, a good thing to do. Again, it's never pray to them, never look at them while you're praying, but to have pictures of tzaddikim in your house uh, is a very, uh, very good thing, especially if you have uh, young people in the house and they see uh, tzaddikim, they know who to admire, who to look up to, who to want to be like, because they see other pictures everywhere else that are full of uh, impurity, whether it's the billboards or the televisions or the iPhones and the iPads and the commercials. So at the very least, balance the, uh, the stuff that people see by uh, putting some pictures of Tzadikim on the wall is definitely a good, uh, good help for the house. All right, and again, like I said, we'll, uh, the next time I'm going to see you, is going to be Tuesday night. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. אני מברך את הרבנים, הרב ירון ראובן, הרב אפרים כחלון, ראשי ארגון בעזרת השם, שהלכו בפעליון, שעלו מעלה מעלה, יהיה להם ברכה והצלחה, הקדוש ברוך הוא ימלא בלשונות ליבם, לטובה ולברכה, שבכל אשר יפנו, ישכילו ויצליחו, ישכילו לעשות כאלה וכאלה, הודיעו תורה לאדירה, אמן ואמן. הוא היהודי הזה, הוא היה מיליונר, סגר את כל הביזנס, אמר אני משקיע פה בעולמה של תורה. איפה הוא גר? בפלורידה. פלורידה, איפה זה פלורידה? באמריקה. במיאמי. כן, ליד. אנחנו שם עכשיו הולכים להקים קהילה ספרדית. חזק אותו בשביל. קהילה ספרדית גדולה. אני גם מה שבירכתי אותו. כן. קהילה ספרדית גדולה.